Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I mean, you said it. Uh, three wins in the last four races. Um, it's just feeling like we're, um, I don't know, just getting everything that we have. Uh, we had, obviously, really fast cars uh, throughout all the year. Um, and we were able to maximize and, and get those wins that we were maybe lacking uh, last year. Um, so yeah, hopefully it doesn't stop here. Hopefully we can keep it going. Uh, we have a couple of races now coming up that we were really strong last year as well and we feel very confident. So yeah, hopefully we can add some more wins uh, uh, this year. Um, it was my first uh, IndyCar test there. So my first IndyCar test was at Mid-Ohio. I like it. It's a, it's a really short track and really tight, like you cannot really breathe a lot, um, but it's amazing. I mean, it, it just feels very, very nice, especially Sector 2, Sector 3 area. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I like it. Uh, as I said, it's extra special because it was my first test there and we had good cars uh, the last couple of years, so hopefully we can uh, try and improve it a little bit more and get uh, one step higher than what we did last year. Yeah, I would say it's getting bigger, but at the same time, we don't... I just think that everything is working uh, really good for us now. I feel like we were as strong as we are now at the beginning of the season, that we had some up and downs during the races, like Long Beach was a clear example where we were running in the top four, got caught up on, a, on an accident, dropped back to like 15th and still finished D5. So our performance was already there. It's just that we are able to get the results and just get clean weekends, um, which is not really easy to do uh, very often in IndyCar, but um, yeah, I feel like we have momentum. Momentum in motorsports matters a lot for driver confidence, team confidence, uh, mechanics confidence, everybody. Uh, once you get the win, you just like you are asking for more and more, so it just gets better and better. So hopefully you can, as I said, keep it uh, on the wave, keep the wave uh, big uh, or even bigger and, and hopefully we can continue having some success. No, no, no. Um, if it was another series, maybe, yeah, you could try and um, just finish where you need to finish, but in IndyCar you can't. Um, so, honestly, I don't really know. It depends. Um, I think in 21 it was at Portland that I started thinking, so it was like two races to go when I started thinking about the championship. Obviously, when you're leading the championship, you think about the championship, right? Because on all the interviews, they they ask you about it. But um, driving on a different way, I would say only on the last race, it was uh, in the 21 uh, year where we drove a little bit under the limit uh, to try and secure points. Um, so yeah, I don't expect to think about securing points until the last race or the last couple of races. Um, and I think we should keep it that way. We should try and score more points, 
get even a bigger gap. Tonight, we'll talk about Alex Pillow's options, his chances this week in Mid-Ohio, and at title number two, we'll preview the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio Sunday here on the radio and also on USA Network and Peacock. It's uh, pretty much mid-season. We'll get into a look at the first half, some silly season news and more, and also talk a little bit of IMSA from Watkins Glen. Roger Penske and Bobby Rahal's teams both celebrated top-class wins, and just like 1981, we have Team Penske and some others like Porsche disagreeing about their car, having a win taken away, and they are vowing to fight it. So stay tuned. We'll get into that. Thank you for joining us. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is with us. Eddie Garrison in our Indianapolis studios. You heard about Alex Polo, who has a very nice lead in the championship that we'll get into tonight. And we look forward to uh, continuing this stretch. I, I feel like... Um, as a racing fan, I'm pretty charmed. So in consecutive weekends, I will have been at Road America, Watkins Glen, and Mid-Ohio. That's pretty much what it's all about. That's the trifecta right there. Uh, now, I'm an oval guy, so I would uh, probably lean toward Indianapolis Motor Speedway and, you know, a couple other places that uh, are great. Phoenix was always one of my favorites, but... You know, I can live with the three you chose, and that's a that's a charm life for sure. You're going to have to glue me in when we get to the IMSA side. I was uh, visiting with my son this weekend in L.A., so didn't see uh, much of of sports car racing, but I'm primed and ready to go for road. I started to say Road America, uh, Mid Ohio, and I'm ready uh, ready to get this thing going. You know, we got like nine races in eleven weekends, so we're ready on the IndyCar side to fire things up. There's some controversy. We had a win turned over five hours after it was over. Uh, Porsche Penske won, but something about the skid blocks being a millimeter off of the allowable measurables. So uh, that's going to be disputed. We'll save that, but let's talk about IndyCar and what we have coming up. So we're not exactly at the halfway point of the season, but we will be midway through this race you know, as we talked last week, my opinion, and it's still my opinion, that I'll be very surprised if Alex Pillow doesn't win the championship. But I think I also said, and if I didn't, I should rephrase it, that at some point there will be a scare. Is it going to come this weekend? All it takes is issue or getting shoved off track or something else, and all of a sudden that lead is back down to 45 points and we're, oh, it's not quite over yet. Is it going to happen this weekend? Well, difficult to say, obviously. He's he's run pretty well at Mid-Ohio the last couple of years. Uh, I did do some some research relative to Dan Weldon's 2005 season when he ran away with the title before the last race of the season. The last time that happened, it's been 17 races since that happened, and or 17 years, I should say. And in that particular season, uh, Dan had an average finish of 5.0. And he had two races where things got away from him a little bit. I think he finished like 18th and 21st. Let's see. Uh, 21st. Yep. Yeah, 18th and 21st. So what we haven't seen from Alex Polo is one of those bad races. He can have a couple of them and still get away with a championship, you know, uh, going strong uh, and clinching ahead of the last race of the season. But he can't have too many. And he can't have somebody get really hot the way a Joseph Newgarden 
is capable of doing and has, as Joseph did in, in 2020, to catch Scott Dixon or come close to at least. I think I think Pillow will have a couple challenges to come. But, you know, like, like Long Beach earlier in the year, he had a difficult race, fell back in the pack to some degree, like 15th, then battled his way forward. Same thing at Indy. Comes from 28th after the contact with Renus VK on pit road to finish fourth. In Long Beach, he got all the way back to fifth. So he he has recovered nicely, and that's why you have more confidence, perhaps, um, than you might just based on on paper that the second half of the race, second half of the season, doesn't go as well as the first half. But he's he's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, he is. And you look at this particular weekend. Uh, let's see, going back to last year, the Ganassis were pretty strong. Penske's won the race. They were really good. Andretti was quick. McLaren was quick. By the way, is that a theme? Isn't that kind of what we say every week? So I don't expect anything different this weekend. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The interesting thing is that it's uh, it's Pelot's teammate that's chasing him closest. Uh, and and really, there are only, what, four drivers within 100 points of, of Pelot. So it's going to take some big efforts by somebody We've got some people that can can do it, but it's it's Marcus Erickson that's closest to chasing him, seventy four points, which is more than one race. It's almost two races, so we'll have to see. But you're right. There's it's kind of the it's been the theme of the season uh, that you know McLaren's close, but but not there yet in terms of an individual race. The Ganassis seem to finish and and score a lot of points, and of course, Team Penske does what Team Penske does. Erickson is second. Newgarden, Pato Award, and Dixon are all within 98 points. He got five there in the mix. McLaughlin, last year's winner, has got a little ways to go. I think that's going to be difficult to overcome. He's 125 back. Rossi just beyond that. Then Power, Herta, and Kirkwood. Um, my point last week, and I, I think I still, you I mean, I shouldn't count out Pato Award, but like I say, I'll be surprised if Polo doesn't win. I'll be surprised if Pato does win this year. I just don't think that we've seen enough consistency for that to happen. But it won't surprise me at all if he wins this weekend. Remember, if, if you don't remember, um, last year he was in position to at least be on the podium and be up there. And he had, I, I can't remember if it was... I don't know if it was actually an engine or if a component within the engine, but he lost power. I don't know that it was specifically the engine. His teammate Rosenquist had the same kind of thing. Uh, Rossi is always good there. So I expect the three McLarens to be strong this weekend. And this might be where they get that first win. Yeah, I think so, too. The, Rossi's been kind of sneaky good at at, uh, at, at I started to say Road America again. Boy, I have my headset. Uh, very much focused on Road America. Enjoy, enjoy that track so much, but but yeah, Rossi's been sneaky good. Yeah, he won in in twenty what twenty nineteen. I th I think it was twenty eighteen. He he did you know he's won there before. Maybe it was even twenty seventeen. But he's had a string like six of his other seven uh, finishes here of late have been in the top five. So he's usually competitive, and I expect him to be. Again, this weekend, last year, the issue was his his dueling <laughs> contact with, with teammate, then-teammate, Romain Grosjean. They both went off the track in turn two, 
at the keyhole there. They had had contact prior to that. And then Rossi had contact later with, with Devlin Francesco. Grosjean had contact with Colton Herta. So this was one of those Andretti races to forget where they probably had a very difficult chat at the end of the race because they were running into each other, which is not good. So Grosjean uh, will be the the thorn that uh, Rossi may need to overcome this this particular weekend to get his ninth career win. So it helps a little bit that Rossi's not on the team anymore, or that would be the only questions, well, some of the questions they would be answering this weekend. Uh, but it's still going to be talked about a lot. You're going to see a lot of highlights, and then you go into it's not been going great for them recently. They either had some sort of an issue with fueling or just simply made a tactical error to bring in Colton Hurd a, a lap early that took away the chance for a win. It could not be going much worse for Rojan at this point. This is not going to be a happy anniversary uh, at this point for him this weekend, and you wonder about the pressure building in those ranks. I would say things are going fine for Kirkwood. He's had a couple of issues at the start of last two races, but has recovered to get something out of it. And it actually is going better for Devlin DeFrancesco. He's got a little bit, bit of momentum. He's been qualifying better. He's been finishing better. But for the top two, you know, for Colton, you're talking championship before the season, where are they going to be? And he's ninth in points. He's about where he was last year. So you have to think that's going to turn around at some point for them real soon if not the pressure starts to mount a little bit more you know and and it's funny because of the way Grosjean started the season you know he's in contention for the win in St. Pete I mean you go down through the list yeah mistake at Texas and it feels like a a broken record conversation that we've had over the last you know month and a half but you know Grosjean has a good Texas Motor Speedway he's got a good Long Beach he's got a good Barber Motorsports Park and now all we can talk about is the pressure building seemingly from within, whether it's within himself or within the team or within his contract talks or or all of the above. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it seems like an eternity ago that he had gotten off to such a good start to the season was so competitive. I remember that we talked about going into the month of May that that he might be the strongest driver through the first what handful of races just because of his depth uh not just on the street circuits but the road course and the oval i mean top to bottom not statistically but top to bottom i would say he was as good as any driver in the first four races and it's been anything but that in the last four with a lot of damaged equipment with a lot of pressure mounting with a lot of conversation about which driver drives for that team in 2024 so you know, I mean, there may be a contract signed, so that could be good. I doubt it, but it, it, you know, it is a possibility that they've already agreed to terms for 24. But again, I doubt it. So all of these things really point to a an interesting couple of races uh, for Grosjean in July because, you know, we tend to see these things pretty well wrapped up by, by August 1st when everybody would be available to be talked about contractually for 24. So I was going to save that for a later segment, but we really have no format. That's what's fun about a radio show. So let's go ahead and get into it. And I think you're right that I doubt that he has a contract signed. I've wondered that as well, but there's been a lot of noise on that front here over the last couple of weeks. I've thrown that out there here on this show, wondering if, you know, from his standpoint, hopefully he's signed. If not, they might be doing a think 
and others are talking about it. And the printed word often tends to have a little more power because it's just out there and it's staring at you and it doesn't go away for a little while. And Nathan Brown wrote uh, uh, in the Indianapolis Star, and I'll try to pull up that story because I think there were a lot of good things there. A lot of things that we discussed last week on the show and that I brought up, but he expanded on a few things and brought up some new nuggets. But he surmised or speculated on the same thing. Question that I've been asking, if Grosjean has not been re-signed, then that could be in jeopardy. So when that's written by the Indianapolis Star... And I suspect others have said the same thing publicly. If he has signed, my guess is that would be refuted. And they would quickly, if not send out a press release, tell someone, hey, by the way, things are looking good. So the fact that that's not really been through sourcing shared could be wrong. But does that make sense to you? That when it's something that that's a little bit negative like this, and it's not like he's going to a different team, um, that we probably would have heard, and Nathan would have probably heard a little bit of pushback. No, I I, I couldn't agree more. In the reporting, uh, you do your best to get things sourced as best you can. And, you know, sometimes there are, I guess, a loophole in the discussion. I mean, and, and you've left the door open. And very quickly in a situation like this one, you would have the team owner or the driver either publicly or privately close the door. Say, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 pump the brakes here a little bit. And sometimes we're told they to pump the brakes just because they don't want this to be even more of a problem for them as they work through the contract or move on from the driver. But but something would be said, and then there would be some adjustment to the story or a, a follow-up or people like us would would let it slip quietly, you know, or even... Even in a tweet, we would do something or they would do something to kind of help the situation kind of, you know, diffuse itself. We've seen none of that. We've seen none of that. And and as as consumers of the product, whether it's in news or sports or or anything else, those are the kind of signs that you want to watch for, even more so than the, the stories that are written. It's the stories that either aren't written or are modified as we go, if that makes sense. And what we don't know and what is impossible to know, just like when we talk about whether a baseball team's manager should be fired or the football coach or the basketball coach, we're not inside the rooms. We see results, and it's a bottom-line business, and that matters. But there are other things involved. For example, I think Felix Rosenquist's value is higher because I think he is very well regarded by the team and his teammates. And that might be the case for Grosjean, but I don't know that. What if it's the other way? Then it might be, you'd better produce or you're too high maintenance (laughs) for us to put up with that. And that might not be the case at all. But that's one of the things that I don't know and I can't speak to because I'm not in there. I know last year he certainly was not getting along with one of his teammates, but that's just one teammate. And actually, after they came together in mid-Ohio, uh, I know Rossi, for one, said we we came to a little better understanding of each other, that we're kind of similar, more similar than, than different, and actually things were fine the rest of the year, and we could have continued had I been staying with the team. But I just think what I was getting to is there are more factors involved, I would think, with a team beyond just this is where you are in the championship. I want to know what the dynamics are like 
within the team? How are you commercially with all the partners? Are you doing all the little things that are asked to be a paid racing driver? Well, and it's you, you alluded to this, you know, it's how much of a distraction are you causing? You know, and this this isn't just a, a racing thing or a sports thing. It's an employment, st- you know, it's an employment issue. If you are a good soldier and you're doing your job and you're fun to work with and you contribute, you know, then you can you can live with some some setbacks. I mean, you make mistakes in your job. It's much easier to uh, have them be accepted by the company when you're when you're not causing a distraction or in this case and i'm not suggesting that with with grosjean here necessarily but you brought up felix rosenquist and and i think everyone would agree and and sees felix is not a distraction you can look at where he's at points wise or otherwise he's not a distraction and he's not in this case because it's important from a racing standpoint felix you know the i should say the grosjean case the noise that he's creating is is car damage. And when you're tearing up equipment, that's kind of like distraction to the team and and to the crew and and to the budget. And so that gets to be a problem. So depends on how they look at it. But, uh, you, you know, the other thing is Andretti wants to win championships and races. And so you got to decide which driver is is kind of more likely to deliver those things. And I, I'm not here to speak to whether that's Grosjean or or that's Rosenquist or some other driver, but you need to be winning races and you need to be not tearing up equipment and you need to be good with all the other things you just discussed. That makes it easier for them to resign you. And I still wonder if the future of Marcus Erickson does not impact the decision on Grosjean, that Michael Andretti and company might be saying, let's just hold off a little bit. Because I think a program like Andretti Autosport really cherishes having a star driver. They've always had an Indy 500 driver for the last Indy 500 winner for quite a few years. And maybe you could argue they don't have to have stars because they've got Mario and Michael in their tent. But I think it helps. And Grosjean, even though he's not won an IndyCar race, he is a star. He's one of the more recognizable figures because of Drive to Survive and because of what happened in his last Formula One race. So commercially, that helps. And Marcus Erickson may not be as well-known, but it's probably close. And then you've got credentials to back it up. You've got multiple IndyCar wins. He might be a champion at the end of the year, or certainly he's going to be close He's almost won the Indy 500 twice. So the point being, I I think that might tick some boxes and give them some other options to consider. Uh, Now, certainly you could have both of them, and that'd be fine. But if you decide, you know what, Uh, we would like another young driver, then maybe we think about bringing on Erickson. Maybe it's re-signing Devlin DeFrancesco and the budget that comes along with him. Or we go out and look for a Calamilot or a David Malukas or a Linus Lundquist or Christian Rasmussen or whoever the case may be. So I just think there are a lot of dominoes in play moving forward on that. And then we'll go ahead and get to this now. Uh, and and Nathan in the Indianapolis Star brings up something that I haven't really done on this show, but I was starting to wonder, is Formula One an option for Alex Pillow? As good as it is going... And there are a few seats that are unconfirmed 
next year that there might be a possibility. And Nathan writes in, in the article, and I haven't read it for a couple of days, but essentially wondering out loud, would he get out of the presumed McLaren agreements to go to a Formula One team for next year? And what's the timeline for that? And then my question back is, well, I don't know how he could be held to any agreement with McLaren. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what we've seen publicly is he is not allowed to sign with McLaren per the agreement with Ganassi until September. So I got to think if if someone in Formula One offers him a deal that's not McLaren, he's free and clear to go. If they were willing to announce a deal when he had a binding contract with one team, I, I don't think that this verbal agreement is going to stop them from going to a Formula One team. It's amazing because I don't, you can't ever remember a scenario where one driver tried desperately to get out of two quality rides in the same <laughs> calendar year. I mean, this, this, this isn't just one good ride. This is a, a championship level ride that should have won the Indy 500 this year. I say should have, but you know how, you know what I mean by that. Yep. And then, and then, you know, the the Aero McLaren might, might be the most lucrative ride in the sport, maybe alongside Team Penske. But the point is, he's gonna he might be in a position to try to get out of both of these rides. So I think he has to he has to pursue his options, keep his options open for Formula One. I mean, it's going to pay more. It's it's you know a global motorsport. He's a Spaniard. It would get him back home. You know, there's a lot of things in play here and. You know, I don't think it has anything to do with having to win a second championship. I think it would it would certainly couldn't hurt it. Uh, he did say today that, you know, it may be two months, it may be three months before he knows exactly what he's doing for 2024. That teleconference today spoke eh, pretty, pretty uh, liberally for him. He was still pretty buttoned up on the subject. Uh, but but I think um, I think Formula One is in play and and I think. You know, it's it's more than just a little bit in play, although I still find a difficult path for him to get there in 24, but it could happen, certainly. Here's uh, how Nathan worded the story. The urgency is understood to be due to a clause in Pelot's deal with McLaren that gives him an out should he find an F1 opportunity outside McLaren by the end of July. Given the state of the F1 field's contracts, only a handful of relative backmarker teams have potential openings for next season, including rides currently held by two of the three rookies on the grid, AlphaTauri's Nick DeVries and Williams' Logan Sargent, who are the sole drivers yet to score points this season. Um, That's interesting. And I trust Nathan's reporting, but a clause in the deal that isn't allowed to be a deal until September. I'm going to guess Chip Ganassi and his people took note of that. And, you know, maybe they're not going to rock the boat at this point because all is going well and the driver is on pace to deliver you another championship. And I think they knew this. You know, this was the agreement that they came to last September that will ride it out. He's the best option we have, probably still at a pretty good price for this year. And then we'll go our separate ways. Nathan reported, and I've I've heard others say this too, that there has been another effort by Ganassi to secure his services. And that might be why Chip Ganassi has been, at least publicly uh, and apparently privately with Marcus Erickson, unwilling to commit to him. Maybe he first 
wanted to make sure that there wasn't an opportunity to keep below. Um, but I didn't get that impression from Marcus that, you know, it's just I have to wait until Polo is sorted. It seemed to be, and, and everyone in the paddock thinks that there's no way that he's returning, that he's moving on. But that's fascinating. I, I just don't know how you can have a binding clause in a contract that legally is not allowed to be signed until September. <laughs> yep. But it would uh, take Chip Ganassi racing, though, uh, enforcing that, right? Yeah, I think so. so and And... So let's think about it this way. Chip could keep, would help get a competitor out of the series, right? If McLaren says, no, you are ours, you must race in the series, would that not be in Chip Ganassi Racing's best interest to say, hey, you can't have signed a binding contract with him. You are under contract with me and not allowed to agree or even speak to anyone until after the season was over. Because that, that is good for Chip Ganassi Racing. If he's not sure. going to race for us, we don't want him racing for McLaren. We want him in Formula One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought last summer was the strangest uh, transaction that, that that never happened. Maybe Alex Pelot's people knew what they were doing. <laughs> I'll tell you I, what. I'm still not sure that they did, I think, but I think they might luck into something. Because through this, he's been able to test a Formula One car. Which, if he had not done that, I don't think any of these other teams would have given him a sniff. That's. But if he has done well, which I think he has, word will have gotten around. No, that, you're you're right. Yeah, yeah. That that opportunity to test McLaren, it may prove to be that McLaren essentially allowed for an audition for another job. We thought it was auditioning to some degree for the McLaren Formula One program. It may turn out that that was a that was an audition for other teams to sign him from underneath uh, McLaren's IndyCar program. So that's fascinating to watch. I I think there's no other way to say it other than it's good to be Alex Pillow because you have a healthy 74 point lead with nine races to go and several tracks on the schedule. Portland being one of them. Mid Ohio being another, Toronto being another, where he has raced well, and he's got three suitors basically, or potentially three different options. Uh, I'm considering Formula One just being one single option, but the McLaren IndyCar team and the Ganassi IndyCar team being the other two. It's good to be Alex Pillow. Now, some might say, why would you go take one of these seats where, at best case, you're probably racing for tenth. Well, the, the, there's one you talked about financially, potentially, and I'll get to that in a second. Two, I don't know if he said this publicly or if this was just kind of shared on his behalf, that homesick might be the wrong word. But understandably, he wanted to be closer to home, which is Spain. And Formula One allows that opportunity to at least be more often than not, in the same continent. So that might be enough, along with most racing drivers that come up road racing, that they at least want to try Formula One. And the reality for Alex Pillow is still the same as it is for Colton Herta, as it is for many others. He could do this for two or three years, and if it doesn't work out, someone will hire him back over here in IndyCar. So it's not a massive risk. Uh, and then everyone would be an option 
uh, for him. So I get that. I know people are going to be annoyed hearing this conversation, but that's something to, to think about. Now, here's the back to the financials. So I was talking much greater knowledge of the Formula One world than me at Watkins Glen this weekend and sharing this scenario. There's no way he's getting hired over there. You must bring budgets that there are fewer drivers in Formula One fully hired without access money than there are in IndyCar. So we hear these big exorbitant salaries, and it's certainly true for uh, Verstappen and Hamilton and, and, you know, name the other top drivers. But the second half of the grid, even if they've had some success, and you might see written that they make $14 million a year, I've had multiple drivers uh, and people associated with Formula One tell me they're still helping bring the budget. And unless he has a link to budget, and unless his management company has a link to budget, which they might, no one is just offering him a seat, was what I was told. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I don't know enough to know whether that's fully true or not, but... I've had multiple people tell me that it doesn't happen where you just bring your helmet in Formula One and get in one of those back half of the grid seats very often. No, I, I agree with that and would certainly support that notion of of pumping the brakes on on that notion. But I will say that, you know, him being a, a competitive, uh, successful Spaniard going to Formula One may open some financial doors that that we might not we might not know about that that might not be available to him as an IndyCar driver. Correct. And his management company that they may understand all of that and they have the ability to attach budget to him over there that they cannot really attach sure. to him over here. So that's all part of the big process at this point. And also I would say, and this might be probably what Zach Brown is going to sell him on. I don't think there's a Formula One seat in McLaren next year, but I don't think anybody can rule out one being open in 2025. You know, I know Oscar Piastri is very well regarded, but if he were, for example, to go through two seasons without producing, yeah, he'll be out on his ear, especially if the teammate gets it going. Um, so I wouldn't rule out that possibility down the road, and I'm going to guess quietly that's what Zach Brown is going to be selling him on. Well, he should be selling him on it, even you know, even if it's not absolutely spelled out, you know, in the contract. Doesn't even you know, have to be true. <laughs> doesn't have to even be true. <laughs> All right, so there, there's one, um, and we'll get into more of this and and go through some other things. And you've got some good midseason questions for us to ponder and more. All coming up. It's Trackside ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. We'll get to some of your Twitter questions a little later on at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Thank you for joining us as we get set for IndyCar in mid-Ohio, just north of Columbus, just south of Cleveland, thus the middle of Ohio coming up a Sunday afternoon. What is our start time, Kurt? Or I believe 1 o'clock on the air. Is that right? I think it's 1.30. I think it's 1.30. Um, that's what the IndyCar website has. And the I'll look it up. flagish. Yeah. I'll look I'll look it up here while we're talking. I think I uh I tweeted a graphic sent out by NBC today. Oh, you're right. It does say 1:30. The graphic says 1:30, so I will assume that's when we go on the air. This is USA this week. Also Peacock and just get an early alert. Send your comments to Kurt Cavan. The Toronto race is on Peacock exclusively. Kurt would love to hear your thoughts on that. 
Uh, green flag is at one fifty three today. Again, Eastern time broadcast starts at one thirty. That's on television. I would assume uh, the radio network. You can hear that on this station um, at uh, one thirty as well. But they may start a few minutes earlier. They may start at one o'clock. They often have a longer pre-race show. So I would start looking for that at one o'clock on IndyCar Radio, IndyCar.com, and right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Indy Next will be racing this weekend, the entire USF Pro Championships, and much more coming up this weekend at Mid-Ohio. All right, we've got a lot of other things I want to get to, but um, silly season is fun to talk about, and it's so up in the air at this point. And I, I thought Nathan Brown's story in the Indianapolis Star uh, covered a lot of the things that we've talked about and some things that we've not really spoken about. And the Ganassi situation is so fluid. You know, one, we've got the highly sought after championship leader in Alex Pillow. I don't imagine they can make a lot of plans until they know what's happening there. And they probably do what's happening, know what's happening there. Uh, I think Scott Dixon is under contract. I don't think he's up after this season. We've discussed Marcus Erickson, very much a free agent. Marcus Armstrong is someone who I would think they feel has done well, and he's kind of the perfect dream if you're a car owner. I believe he is attached to some budget that comes along with that, and he's also good. So I would expect him to be back, and a lot of people expect him to potentially take on an expanded role with them and do all of the races. He is not going to, as of now... Uh, he's not going to do an oval race because it has been confirmed, like we talked about last week, that Takumasato will continue to do the oval races the rest of this season. It sounds like they'd like to get him in the car to at least test him. So there's one potential seat filled. And and by the way, going back to the Ganassi side of things as to why he may not be motivated enough to pay Marcus Erickson what he feels he's worth... The Ganassi side might be, hey, our cars are really good, and we keep putting different people in these cars, and they keep doing well, so I'm going to find someone else that is pretty good that also brings budget, and we'll just keep the train rolling. So that might be the option on the side, and Marcus Armstrong might be one of those. Well, I, I will say, I will say, just keep in mind, that's all well and good for 95% of the races, but the Indy 500 is going to require somebody with some, some experience yeah. and some ability to get to, get to the front. Marcus Armstrong. I don't think we can put a lot of confidence right now that his second, what will be his second race on an oval mm -hmm. will be in, in title contention for next year's Indianapolis 500. I can't say that with any confidence, which is why I still hold out hope that there is going to be an agreement hope from their side i'm not concerned with where he is i like marcus and i hope he has a, a well-paying job and i want him to be in the series and he will be he's got options but from that side that's why i hold out hope that he's going to remain at ganassi which is where i believe he would like to be under the right circumstances because when it comes down to it if they are indeed going to lose alex below i still don't see how you'd want to let both of them go at this point, unless there's some other option that we are not aware of. Another caveat that will have to have to and get to be dealt with at some point that Nathan writes about that we haven't really spoken a lot about, 
but he he puts it out there. Uh, you know, people kind of ask about Kiffin Simpson, and I've just said, well, you know, see the Ridgeline Lubricants logos on that car? That's attached to Kiffin Simpson. So he's done a little more research and has the specifics of that, that his father is the owner of Simpson Oil, which owns a 20% stake in Parkland Corp. And you've seen Parkland stickers on those cars. They own Ridgeline Lubricants, which is now a major partner of Chip Ganassi Racing. So I'm sure part of this deal is that Kiffin is going to be driving a Ganassi car. The question is, is he ready next year? I think best case scenario for all involved would be that the Simpson camp would say, you know what, we'd like to do one more year in Indy next. But similar to the Devlin DeFrancesco situation, if there is budget there and they say, no, we'd rather go ahead and learn, you're going to have to learn at some point at the IndyCar level and since we have the budget for it and there is a seat available, we'd like that seat right now, understanding the driver might take some lumps. So that is something that is going to have to be dealt with with Chip Ganassi Racing. If the Simpson camp wants him in a car next year, they will have to decide, do we want that? And if we don't, can we talk them out of that while maintaining that relationship and future opportunities? So that is something, and I, I've asked Kiffin about that, and they're a bit vague, as he should be. We're, we're barely to the midpoint of that season, and I don't know that any decision has been made. But Kiffin does have a lot of seat time. You know, he's running in international sports car races, and he's already won Sebring in LMP2, which is significant experience. So that means he's getting used to doing pit stops and high-pressure situations. So you could argue that maybe there's enough opportunity for him to be ready. From an outsider's view, he did win a poll uh, most recently, but he's not really broken through in Indy next. I think he's 13th in points right now, but that is something to be watched. Nathan also writes for the first time. We've wondered about this, but he wrote that – I'm trying to find the exact quote on that, but essentially he cites uh, other drivers – as saying that the 29 seat is uh, expected to be open at the end of the season and Devlin is not certain to return. I don't have that reporting, um, but I've wondered about that as well and have speculated that they might be open to doing something with the relationship with Gamebridge. But I also think it's possible that if Devlin continues to get better, eh, maybe that could be refocused. That could be reconsidered. And I know what Michael said to Racer on the record was, we're evaluating and we will revisit that sometime in the summer, which is coming up pretty soon. Well, there are some other teams that could could be uh, interested in his services, given his Correct. improvement and his budget Correct. and yep. his experience, for that matter. Two years of learning in the Andretti camp would position you pretty well for other opportunities, especially with Honda. And then there are all the other open seats right now. Is it easier to uh, to list who is confirmed next year than who is not? <laughs> uh, there are a few, but uh, I, I well, think... Here, here are the drivers that I think that are free agents. Hello, Erickson, Grosjean, Rosenquist, Harvey, eh, maybe Malukas. I, I suspect that there is still an opportunity kind of like was vague last year, that whether it takes a buyout, I don't know. But I'm going to put him on the maybe list. 
I'm putting Callum Eilat on the maybe list. That contract wording was a bit vague, but I believe he can be had. Devlin DeFrancesco, Elio Castroneves, Simon Pagino, Santino Ferrucci, Takuma Sato, Connor Daly now, obviously, on the free agent list at this point. I guess you should probably add Ryan Hunter Ray to the free agent list at this point. So that is a pretty hefty list. Elio told me that he knows what he's doing next year. He cannot share it yet. As Michael Shank this weekend at Watkins Glen, if he was open to sharing anything, and he said, I'm not, uh, but I can tell you that uh, you'll know some things by the time we get to early August. So I, I kind of think one of their seats is set. I don't know if both are set. I did not ask Tom Blumquist, and I don't imagine he could tell us, but he's been one of those. I'll say this, though. Michael Shank, a couple of different times, has said, I am taking into consideration uh, the new hybrid configuration next year and the extra intel it will take to be able to operate that. Uh, and we have learned some things on the sports car side that it's not just about being fast anymore. You've got to have a high mental capacity to be able to deal with the things that you need to deal with. And that's not necessarily saying I'm bringing in a sports car driver like Blumquist. And, and also he explained, and from what I've heard, I certainly agree, he would know more than I would, though, that the IndyCar system is not going to be as complicated as the sports car system. The sports car system is pretty complicated about getting the mapping and understanding where you're using electric hybrid power and where you're using combustion engine. But he just said that's something that we've learned that we need to put in the back uh, of our mind as we're choosing on our IndyCar drivers. And there are a lot of things in play on that side of things. So I think we'll know something, oh, I'm going to say in about four or five weeks on that front. And and maybe it will leak and we'll get some other things there on that front. There's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. I don't know if that means uh, better news for a Pagano or not, but uh, or Castroneves, but I think we'll see Pat. I, I would suspect Castroneves in a sports car, don't you? I don't know, but I also I don't know what uh, Meyer Shank Racing is doing in sports car racing next year. Did you note when Wayne Taylor Andretti was announced adding an Acura program that there was no mention? And I, I believe that is up in the air. I think there is an opportunity that they could return there. There, there's there's some things going on with what happened at Daytona, possibly, sure. but but I do think that's possible, and I also suspect that some other manufacturers or you know at, at multiple levels, whether it's the GTP level or whether it's being a factory GTD Pro team, I suspect Michael Shank has some options that are being considered. What he told me this weekend is, I've been with Honda for a long time on the sports car side. Uh, so we're working on it, but everything is in play for that. He, here's a scenario I could think would make some sense for Elio. I, I have to believe he's driving. And what he told me last weekend is I'm not doing, I'm not like Tony. I'm not going away. So I'm still going to be here, but he wouldn't share in what capacity options for Castro Neves could be. He's full-time again in IndyCar, which uh, unfortunately I, I kind of doubt could be he's full-time in sports car. Could be he's the endurance driver doing four, three or four races. Not everybody uses uh, an extra driver at Watkins Glen in the six hour. And with that, he could also do the Indy 500. 
I don't know that Meyer Shank would want to run a third car, but they have a technical relationship with Andretti Autosport. And with enough lead time, Andretti could probably run a sixth car. And I think Honda might be inclined to provide one for someone going for a fifth Indy 500 in an Andretti car. Agreed. Agreed with that wholeheartedly. So we'll have to see, but I don't think he's full time. Yeah. And then the others, it depends on, hey, do they, can they get Felix Rosenquist? Do they like him better? Uh, I think it's starting to get better with them, but that's been one of the surprises. I really thought in year two that all would go better and kind of the same thing. I don't think Simon Pagino has forgotten how to drive or forgot how to help set up a car, but sometimes it's easier to replace one guy than it is to replace a lot of guys. That's why I can say I don't know what's going to happen on that front. All right, uh, hour number two is coming up, and we'll uh, sneak in some tweets and more coming up in just a moment. It's Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, let's sneak in a few Twitter questions in this segment. This is from Charlie Mack. He says, what an IndyCar weekend at Road America. Biggest crowd I've experienced, but nowhere have we heard the attendance numbers, question mark. I have not either, so uh, maybe that's been in local media, but usually Indy 44, if there's anything written that is of substance, he retweets that, so I'm assuming they did not release attendance numbers, but I'd agree. I can't say it was bigger than ever, but I thought it was good. Austin Alexander writes, the stats have been thrown around about how no drivers finished higher than fifth the race after the 500 since Juan Pablo Montoya, but Takuma Sato finished second at Gateway in 20 after the Indy 500, led the most laps too. Does it not count due to the pandemic year? Just want to give the man his due. Um, That's a good point. I don't think anybody's really thought of that. I've seen those stats as well about all of the issues or the lack of success Indy 500 winners have had. So I think people were thinking traditional May race with the next one coming up. So what you say is correct and should be considered for Sato. The other side of that, though, why I think the May number means more is that Sato was not asked to do in that pandemic year what other Indy 500 winners have been asked to do. He still had to do some media but he wasn't traveling the country, I don't believe, because of the pandemic. So he did some Zooms and probably didn't do as many as uh, uh, someone that is from the United States does. But that said, Takuma speaks perfect English. But I don't know that he was on as many outlets, especially with the race in August. But it is a fair point and is worth noting, and I'm glad you did. Denise says, disappointed New Garden wasn't penalized for barging people off the track, especially when others were. Thank you for the comment, Denise. We talked about that last week. I do think they've been consistent, and it's somewhat up to the drivers to decide if that behavior is acceptable. If not, they can discuss it amongst themselves and maybe make a consideration for the future all right out of time in this segment but we have more coming up at the end of the next hour and more conversation about uh silly season potentially mid-season questions and more all coming up on trackside hi this is joseph newgarden and you're listening to trackside hour number two trackside 93.5 the fan in indianapolis eddie garrison is in our downtown studios kevin lee kurt cavin getting set for the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course in the Honda Indy 200 Sunday afternoon at 1.30 here on the radio and on USA Network and Peacock coming up this weekend. 
Um, before we get to some mid-season questions that you have compiled for us, maybe our quick IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship update from the weekend at Watkins Glen, because we have a lot of uh, people that we know from the IndyCar world and a lot of IndyCar teams that were there. And, Kurt, we've got controversy as well. Uh, so there was a lot of attrition in the top class, in GTP. One of the Penske cars had a mechanical issue right at the start. Uh, one of the, the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan BMWs crashed at the start of the race. Oh, and by the way, that brought up some controversy as well. So in sports car racing, they have split starts. The top classes all grouped together with the fastest cars. And then the GT cars come by 20 seconds later. It's races within a race. And in this case, we, we have two different green flags. Well, at the start of the race, uh, Augusto Farfus goes around and he's in the wall and his car is significantly damaged. And then 15 or so seconds later, much to our surprise, green flag flies for the GT cars and they're coming around the corner and there's a car sitting in the middle of the road. And poor Augusto is sitting there hoping not to get run over and there's a yellow flag waving, there's a green flag waving and... That's going to be an interesting discussion. So that was part one. And then you had a lot of other cars getting hit. Uh, the car that ultimately, for now, has won the race, got hit a couple of different times. Uh, Bourdais got hit hard a couple of times. Uh, another Cadillac, a wheel fell off for the Wayne Taylor Racing Acura. And towards the end, it looked like it might be the first win for the Rahal Group in a BMW. And they've been a little bit off the pace this season. So that was been the story that they got started later with these new, really technical cars and they've got a couple of results, but it hadn't gone great. And they were up to pace this weekend. So we knew they had a chance that it looked like Connor Filippi, another driver that had come close to getting to IndyCar was going to break through an American driver winning at Watkins Glen. He got passed with six minutes left by the Porsche Penske. Penske wins the race celebration they expand their championship lead five hours later and i need to see what the wording is so i'll go to my notes for that we get notification that the penske has been dq'd uh because something along the lines of i'm trying to find the note here the skid plate uh was less than a millimeter off of where it should be. And my understanding on this is, yeah, here it is. The skid block measuring less than the permitted minimum thickness during post-race technical inspection. And it's, you know, less than we can even separate with our fingers, apparently. And, and the way I understand this, this is such a big deal, is that you don't want the cars to be too low. And one of the ways that they do tech is they measure you at the end of the race and if too much of the skid plate is gone then they assume you were running too low you're dragging too much and then you're skirting the rules the other side of that would be well wait a minute how do we measure that because you're running over curbs it's going to get damaged a little bit this is a really gray area and then i saw marshall pruitt post something today on twitter you know showing a rule book from way back in the day that skid plates have always been a big part of tech and I will admit this is well beyond my understanding. I don't know who's right, but I do know that Porsche Penske is going to dispute this. 
And they've had success in these areas before, have they not? Yeah. When, yeah. when race results have been disputed. So for now, BMW team RLL is the winner, but uh, Porsche Penske is not accepting that. And I don't know if we can say there will be lawyers, but there might be lawyers. Well, yeah, they're two for two at Indy in, in just our, yes. our lifetime. So <laughs> you're right. They're, they're pretty good at knowing the rules and then uh, being able to explain how they are in cahoots with, with said rules. And as a layman, I don't know how, you know, after a six-hour race where everybody got hit and you're getting knocked off track, you're running over things, there are curbs. I don't know how that is adjudicated and how that is come down to. One would think, not having any knowledge of how tech works, that you would look at the ride height before the race starts, and that would be where you need to be. But the other side might be, well, there are ways to lower it during the race. So unless we're going to do tech in the middle of the race and come in in your 40-second pit stop and measure you, then, uh, you know, and we see that in NASCAR where they design things to break. They've done that in the past that actually improves the aero balance and reduces drag and things like that. Oh, uh, running tech is a challenging business and doing the things that you can do to get through tech, but still be as good as you can be is interesting. Some other kin from our world, uh, and this will be our indie next. I don't know one would have had Siegel, who reminds us of Zach Veach, really talented young driver that looks like he's 12 or 13. He's now 18. And I think even Nolan would have said before the season, you know, this is a two-year plan. I'm in no big hurry. We're going to learn this year. And Nolan Siegel has won the last two races and really should have won the last three Indy Next races. And he has a pretty decent lead, something like 40 in the championship now. Well, he also won the IMSA race over the weekend in class in LMP2. So he has won three races in a row, should have been four races in a row. And I don't know that anyone have been thinking about him to get to IndyCar next year. But if he wins that championship, I, I can't swear that he has the budget to get to IndyCar but I think he has the budget. His dad is a gentleman, sports car driver. I, I believe the budget is there when they determine that he is ready to move to IndyCar. And Nolan is a really mature, likable young man. We've had him on the show, haven't we? Yes, yes. We yeah. yes, we have. And I, I agree. Easy, easy kid to like. Um so you might have to put him in play for next year as well. I do think Rasmussen's going to have something to say in the second half. I happened to sit on the plane next to him yesterday on the way home from Watkins Glen, and he finished second behind Siegel with his team. Um, but he said the test went really well at Gateway and at Iowa. And he didn't tell me this, but I would surmise that's where the experience that he has, that Hunter McElray has in their second season – might separate them a little bit from the first-year drivers. So if I had to pick someone to win that championship, I'm still probably going to pick Rasmussen at this point, but I don't think anybody would have said Siegel is where he is at now. So just just keep an eye on this young man, and I think people are going to like learning more about him as he gets to the next level. Well, it's also a 40-point a separation between Siegel and Rasmussen, yeah. and we're at the halfway point in that series uh, I think, is this seven or have we had seven of the 14? Uh, the point is we're we're kind of at the doorstep of, of halfway there as we are in the NTT IndyCar series. So 
you know, 40 points, if we were talking about that on the IndyCar side, we would say that's a big lead. It's the same point structure, and there's there's actually fewer races left in Indy Next than there is in the NTT IndyCar series. So, you know, 40 points is pretty healthy, even though, um, as you say, there, there are a couple more oval track races and, you know, certainly a lot of miles to go. They will hit the halfway point after this weekend. They've had okay. six races so far of of their 14. So, um, but yeah, just something I wanted to mention. We had a good Indy Next representation. So Siegel was there. Rasmussen was there. Who else was there? Kiffin Simpson uh, was in a good car. And Josh Pearson also was there, who runs in everything, runs and runs in everything. Did you say that, and maybe I was thinking ahead to the next part of this segment, but did you mention that Siegel was an LMP2 class winner? I did. Yeah, okay. he won with uh, yeah. George Kurtz and Ben Hanley, who we remember from IndyCar. That's right. A little bit with the Dragon Speed team. Uh, so that that was cool. And it was, it was entertaining. There was a lot of things going on at Watkins Glen um, as well. And the other thing I'll throw in, so I hadn't been to Watkins Glen for a while. I don't think I had been there since IndyCar was last there in 2017. I have sort of been the last few years on the IMSA broadcast, but I was in the booth. And little secret is a lot of our races are done from a studio. So I've been in Charlotte for Watkins Glen the last four years watching on a television monitor and had not been at the track. And one, it was awesome to be back. I forgot how much I had missed uh, Watkins Glen. Two... I was impressed with the crowd, and I'm not sure that television shows it well enough. I think even the grandstand crowd looked up. Uh, that I remember last year, it looked like there's, you know, 10% of those really massive grandstands filled. And I knew there was a lot of camping, uh, but there was even more. And I saw Michael Prince, who, by the way, we've, um, he's yeah, been a good. friend to IndyCar for a yeah. long time. Congratulations on a great career. I don't suspect he's fully retired, but he's retiring from the job as the track president at Watkins Glen. And he told me they had 500 more camp spots filled this weekend. So during the Michelin pilot race on Saturday, I walked around with Hinchcliffe. Oh, we'll talk about Hinch too. And just Hinch and I went out to the bus stop and watched some of that race and just kind of walked around. And it had a great vibe, great atmosphere. It felt really full. And I thought some of those big grandstands looked like they were more than a third of the so or so filled. And I'll say this, people want to see IndyCar go back. This was a significantly bigger crowd than what IndyCar had the last two times that they were there. So there would be some work to be done. I still dream of a combo where IndyCar and IMSA can race together or maybe even IndyCar and NASCAR. But I understand their side of it. NASCAR is full to begin with. And IMSA is doing quite well. And they don't have room on the schedule that weekend. Part of their business model is all of these support series that create revenue and the manufacturer side of things. So you may be in the right environment. Uh, it can be done, but it's not an easy situation. And I think that event, I felt like it was pretty healthy on the IMSA side of things. So I don't know that they would feel like we have to have IndyCar to come in. They would be asking, what are you going to bring? How many more people did you have the last time? And does that make sense for us? Can you charge more for the tickets to pay the sanctioning fee for that? So I just wouldn't count on that happening. The other aspect that I had never done before is I took a different path home, which I will recommend the next time someone visits Watkins Glen. I flew into Rochester. That was the best option I had. 
and just followed Google Maps. And it took me to the racetrack on Friday, a normal ho-hum drive, which was fine. And Google Maps took me a different way on Sunday afternoon. It took me back down to the village, which I visited on Saturday and had dinner at the uh, Lake Seneca Station place right in the corner there. Nice place. But it drove me through the village and then up along Seneca Lake going straight north. Beautiful. And that is a beautiful view. And I must have passed... I don't think I'm exaggerating. 30 wineries all unfortunately look to be closed on Sunday afternoon, or maybe fortunately. But I think I probably spent 45 minutes with just the big lake, driver's right, looking out. And it was just a really nice experience on the drive home. So if you're ever going there again, um, plan on waiting a long time for your rental car. That would be the only drawback of the Rochester airport. But it was a really nice drive, and there are a few more options than Elmira and some of the other ones. So there you go. There are your travel notes for the weekend. Yeah, and I like I would, I like I would that. encourage people going to that sports car race or the NASCAR race if you get a chance. I knew as soon as you started down that path that the road you took was was beautiful. I've not made the complete drive, but I know that that's a, that's a pretty road. And, and uh, driving along the lake is, is about as good as it gets for me. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's yeah. outstanding. I'm not big into drives, and I would always prefer just to be teleported or have someone else drive me or fly as much as I can. So that's a two-hour drive. Actually, it's more like an hour 40, but it was a really enjoyable Sunday afternoon drive, and that was a good weekend. It was it was really nice to be back at Watkins Glen, and I look forward to that, and that's how I'm kind of spoiled on this job, getting to go to places like Road America, and I'll get to go to Road America again for an Xfinity race later on this summer. and. And I'm looking forward to Mid-Ohio this weekend uh, as well. All right, let's get into, uh, we may break it up into a couple of segments, but you have compiled some things for midseason. You used to have to do this as a reporter, you and Robin and the others, midseason grades. I'm reluctant, but I went ahead and gave it a little bit of thought, and I do have some grades if we want to share those from a team perspective. Well, I haven't broken them down by grades, mostly because I'll say this. It's been truly haves and have-nots. At least it's felt that way to me this year. Yeah. I, and and honestly, I don't remember, and I'm sure it's happened, but I don't remember a lot of years where it was this unbalanced. I mean, you really have you have three teams that are, you know, I'll give them, you know, maybe not all A's, but but obviously the Ganassi team does a has done an exceptional job. I think team Penske has, you know, anytime you win the Indy 500 and, and you've got a championship contender, you, you know, you got to be happy with, with that, even though they're never completely satisfied. So I think those two teams continue to be class the field. And, and I think, you know, you'd have to give maybe not perfect marks because they haven't won a race, but Errol McLaren is indeed coming. I, by the way, you think about you're talking about Scott Dixon. Remember it wasn't that long ago. He was entertaining the idea of being at, at Errol McLaren, uh, for his future. Uh, at least that was the conversation. Um, uh, I still but don't know how much he entertained it or well, not, but it was being entertained on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, those, those three teams feel like, the, the the strength of the series and and obviously Andretti's won a race and they had a good first four races as we talked about in the first hour with Grosjean and and you you know you you start to feel like all those things are well and good but then you look at the other half of 
of the field. And I may be leaving. I don't have the list of teams in front of me, but AJ Foyt's had a really good year. I mean, to be that competitive in the Indy 500, both with with uh, Santino Ferrucci and Benjamin Peterson in qualifying, they've they had a chance to win the Indy 500. I mean, think about that. Uh, a legitimate chance and so they've they've been they've been hitting above their weight largely in this campaign and then you got on the other side the Meyer Shanks the Ray Hall Lettermans um Dale Coyne we've not hard, even heard a peep out of that team uh so so that's unfortunate uh Dryer and Reinbold you know had their indie trouble with with Stefan Wilson getting hurt um and then I have to think, uh, you know, we've not heard much out of Hunkos Hollinger. We've not heard much out of, um, I'm missing a team that's right on the tip of my tongue. But, you know, it's just been, which team am I missing? Oh, Ed Carpenter Racing. We've not heard much from them. So it has been feast or famine for these teams with a few maybe largely in the middle. But it's more separation of, of have and have nots than I recall in recent years. And that's similar to how I break it down. I went ahead and gave grades. I'm giving Chip Ganassi Racing an A+. And you might say you can't get an A+, if you don't win the Indy 500. Uh, but I think that there was nothing within their control. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> not why they didn't win the Indy 500. They did everything that they could do. Uh, and they are, what, one, two, four, Tied for fourth, fifth, whatever it is That's right. in the championship. That's right. So I'm giving him an A+. I'm giving Penske an A. And just because Ganassi has been a little stronger overall the season, that's why they don't get the plus. But you get an A when you win the Indy 500 and you've won another race. I'm giving McLaren a B, and I'd give Andretti a B as well. They haven't won a race yet, so McLaren doesn't get an A. Maybe you could say B- minus for Andretti, but they've won three poles. And they've won a race. So I think probably B- not B plus, not A, because there have been some things that have not gone great so far. I'm giving Hunkos and Foyt a C plus because I'm grading on a curve uh, with Hunkos. And the fact that Augustine Canapino has been top 12, top 13, uh, and they've, you know, maybe they lucked into it a little bit with uh, the result that Ilot got at, at St. Pete, but they've had some days. So I'm I'm grading them on a curve. I know the pace is still not quite there at this point, but I'm going to say C plus. And the Foyt team, they've really honestly not been very good most weekends. But when you're that good at the Indy 500, and that's the one that matters the most, that bumps up your score considerably. So I'm giving them a C plus, and I do see improvement in the other weekends. I think they are getting there. Uh, I think you have to say they they were even better than your Indy 500 description. I mean, they were on the cusp of winning the Indy 500 through no strategy flaws, through Correct. no hiccups, straight out speed. Not luck. Yeah. They nearly won. And I think I think that is the measure by which A.J. Foyt functions. And so I think they're stronger than a C plus. And I would say the only critique is uh, with Team Penske is we don't have a race win from, you know, we'll, we haven't seen Will Power yet as consistently up there as as he was a year ago maybe that's tough to grade but i might just come back just a little bit on that team so would without any other success not being a factor at any other race you would rate foyt 
higher than a C plus. You'd give them a B just for the five hundred. Yeah, I, I would. Okay. I, I I think that's why they that's why they live. You know, that's what keeps them. And they weren't just in the conversation; they were the conversation with with fifteen laps to go, ten laps to go, and throughout the race. Well, from a business standpoint, you could certainly argue that you could be crap all season long, but if you can guarantee you're going to have two cars that are in the mix for the Indy 500, that's probably enough. That's a sustainable business model, and it wasn't just Ferrucci. The Peterson car was quick as well. They had some bad luck and then got collected during the race, but he was legitimately quick. Uh, you say all month, all two weeks, whatever you want to call it. So, okay, I, I can debate that. And then the way I listed everyone else, because I don't want to be mean, I just said needs improvement. Everyone <laughs> else gets an NI because I don't want to give Ds and Fs, but that's what we'd be talking about, and they'd probably agree with that. Needs improvement is the grade for everyone else. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and I don't remember – it's been a while since there were that many in the needs improvement category. I mean, we just haven't heard hardly anything from from those four or five teams. And, and you know, we've seen, by the way, a shakeup not only at Ed Carpenter, but we saw an engineering shakeup at, at Hunkos Hollinger this week, which we can uh, maybe touch on briefly later. But, you know, that's behind so the scenes. I missed that. Stuff. You're going to you're gonna have to share that with me. I uh, knew both, that they had both engineers. Engineer. Really? Where did I that think, come out? I, I saw that. Uh, we'll confirm that and the details of that maybe during the break. But but uh, okay. pretty sure that I saw that they've had engineering shakeup. So mm. the point is, well, I know, it's, I know, know their technical director has not been available for sort of undisclosed reasons for a little while. Reasons that, you know, it's, sometimes things are private and I just know he's not been around. Yeah. And that was a concern, so maybe it was determined. So, yeah, you look into that, and we'll we'll see if we can un uncover that in a moment. And we'll get to some of your other uh, first-half questions that I think are interesting. And more coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Colton Herda, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Trackside continues. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, Eddie Garrison in Indianapolis. Uh, okay, we did a little searching, and I have neglected to follow Jack Benyon on Twitter, so now I am. I think I follow the race, and I've talked about their their solid work before, but you referenced a shakeup at Hunko, so a little searching. And this morning, Jack wrote on therace.com that Hunko's Hollinger has parted ways with two highly rated members of the engineering staff ahead of this weekend in what it has described as a restructuring of its technical department. The engineer behind Augustine Canapino's sensational start to his rookie season, Charlie Ping, and the performance engineer on Callum Eilat's car, Zach Porter, have both been released. Um, and then it gives uh, some detail on their resume and so forth. They came highly regarded, and there's no announcement as to who is replacing them. Uh, at this point, but that there has been a shakeup on that front. And then the point I was mentioning before, and I, I haven't been in their pit the last few races, so I haven't checked into this for a while, but two or three events ago, Yves Touran, who's been around IndyCar for uh, quite a few years and is their technical director, I knew he wasn't around and ha had not been, he had been working remotely a little bit, but was unable to be at the track. So, you know, there was a bit of a feeling that that might that's not super 
Uh, and then you also have seen some of the comments from Callum that he's just not been happy about their pace. So this is a situation where, you know, like you, you got to try things and they're trying things at this point. So I also made the point that there had been changes at Ed Carpenter Racing with Connor Daly's departure with Hunko's Hollinger, which you've just detailed, but also, and we've talked about this, but I also want to include, because I think it's in fairness to the teams that need improvement, is that Ray Hall has had uh, significant changes within its its structure, although I don't have all the details, but that's been a couple weeks now in the making. There were a lot of them, but we actually had Rico Nault uh, detail them all on a Peacock show and kind of run down the list. And uh, it sounds like Almost everyone was simply reassigned and, you know, you can, you know, I think it's accurate that, hey, we wanted to do some things to strengthen the sports car program. Oh, and by the way, the sports car program was strengthened this weekend. This was the best that they've done. So maybe some of those reinforcements paid some immediate dividends on that front. But yeah, it's just trying different people in different situations. And I like that. You know, we don't want to see anyone lose their job. So let's just shake things up and reassign some people. And maybe it's a better fit with all the personalities involved. And, and, you know, as we like to say, when we all want success, but uh, use this phrase, we hear this phrase, those guys are on scholarship too. You know, that, that refers to like big time college basketball or football. Mostly it's a football kind of thing that, you know, when your big program doesn't win, why aren't you winning every week? Hey, the other guys are on scholarship too. They're good. So it's not just as simple as saying we need to get better. Everyone's getting better. So it's hard. It's hard and we understand that. But you are asked to perform and that's kind of how the world goes. All right, let's get into some of the questions you have here. Well, we've done a series of roundtable discussions. We've been doing them all year on IndyCar.com. But at midseason, rather than giving you know teams grades, we've asked, particular questions and then between myself and Paul Kelly and Joey Barnes we've you know we've debated them uh to some degree so I guess one of the questions and before you know a lot of the readers perhaps have read read my take on it but what I thought I'd throw at you is what do you think has been the biggest surprise of the of this season so far we're what uh, you know almost halfway uh, through the season, you know, from a driver's standpoint, you know, who's who's the surprise of the year? It might be Augustine Canapino. Yeah, it might be. It might be. Because I mean, we just assumed he was going to be last. And he kind of assumed he was going to be last. And Ricardo Juncos said he's going to be last for a little while, but he'll get better. The fact that he wasn't last to start with. And also, I think this says something, too. The, the fact that they fired his engineer, that we feel he is better than this, yeah. might tell you something about what they think and what they're seeing from the data from him, comparing him to Callum Eilat. So maybe the other one that I think has to come into the equation, and and I have such high respect for him, and I know you do as well. I think I'm surprised that the driver who's challenging Alex Pillow with the most regularity is Marcus Erickson. Last year, you know, we saw a good start to the season. Obviously, it was fueled by a double points win in the Indy 500. He qualified well, really came out of there with a lot of points and and standings elevation. And he held that 
I think we would all agree while he raced pretty well after the Indy 500, he was still the leader or first or second because of the Indy 500 points. And he drifted a little bit at the end of the season, but he doesn't have that double points carrying him this time. And while he is 74 points out of the lead, which is pretty deep in the, in the standings, he's been as good as anybody and probably as we've just discussed, and we all know, probably should be a two-time Indy 500 winner. I think Marcus Erickson is in that conversation for big surprises as well, even though he's got you know the experience and the talent and, and the resume that would support being second in the standings. I don't have that as a surprise. That's kind of what I expected. I expected him to be in the mix. I don't have anyone on the positive side of surprises. Maybe if I wanted to go one more positive, it might be Pelot that he's this far in front. That would probably be in in a lame duck year where he is leaving the team after the season that he is somewhat dominating. I think you could list a few surprises on the negative side of things. I'm a little bit surprised that it hasn't gone better. And this is back to the team conversation. I, I thought we'd see uh, more from Simon Pagano this year in the Meyer Shank crowd. I thought we'd see something more from David Malukas. You know, maybe there's only so many engineering changes you can have. So to be fair to them, but this has been pointed out before whenever they lose an engineer uh, that, well, they're not going to be any good next year and they are good. So we kind of trying to give them credit saying it's more than just one person that they will survive. But the most recent was Ross Bono, uh, who moved over to Dixon's car. They've lost Cannon. They've lost Greg Hampson and others over the years. But that that might be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I think I'm a little bit surprised that Renus VK hasn't been more consistently strong this season. And yeah, that's probably my list uh, of there. I'm not surprised that Kirkwood won a race. I thought he would. Thought he would be in the mix, but more my surprises are on the negative side of things than the positive. Agreed. I'm I might not have pegged Kirkwood for a street course win at Long Beach. Uh not that I didn't expect Andretti to be good at Long Beach, but that was a pretty impressive performance on Kirkwood's behalf. Mm-hmm. And if you were ranking, you know, the strong performances that we've seen during this 2023 season. You'd be hard-pressed to leave that Kirkwood drive at at, uh, Long Beach out of the discussion because, you know, as dominance, you know, I mean, he he, he delivered. That's that's big-time stuff right there, what he did at Long Beach. So so that's one of the questions we've debated on IndyCar.com. I'll give you this one as well. Which driver do you have your eyes on most for the second half of the season? Obviously, Pelot's got the lead, how he manages that lead, but I think we'll be looking at people beyond Polo. So which driver do you think, you know, maybe the question really is, you know, either which one's going to take the jump in the second half or which one has a chance to challenge Polo for the championship? So I'll go with who I think might make the biggest leap in the second half. And I'm going to say Alexander Rossi. Because I would suspect it takes a little time to acclimate, like we saw Felix Rosenquist. It took more than a year for him to get acclimated to what they do. I think they're coming on, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him win two races in the second half of the season. I think he's too far back to really legitimately contend for the championship, but that would be one. And Pato Award would be my second. It's just because he's always fascinating. Pato could win three races in the second half, 
he could get really angry and scream a lot on the radio and be very disappointed about how things are going. Now, he still might win one or two races, but it's, it's just kind of a mixed bag there in that sense. But Rossi would be my pick that I think he is most likely to have a significantly better second half than he did the first half. So I think the driver that has the, I mean, I, I think, I, as I recall, I, on on the website discussion, I, I listed Scott Dixon, who still hasn't won a race, needs to yeah. extend yeah. his record-setting uh, consecutive streak of, of seasons with at least one win. And, you know, he's going to be good at Mid-Ohio and Toronto and, and a few other places. But the driver that I think, as I've thought more about it, that could roll off at least three more wins in the final nine is Joseph Newgarden. I, he will be the driver to beat in both races at Iowa. He'll be the driver to beat at Worldwide Technology Raceway. And as I mentioned, uh, a Joey Barnes nugget from from a while back, I think I mentioned this last week, actually, that you know if, if Newgarden doesn't get uh, tripped up by a mechanical and then hit the wall and turn four at Iowa last year in the second race, he's undefeated for a calendar year on ovals, yeah. which is really impressive. Uh, so I think Joseph is the one that I think, I mean, it's going to take someone winning three or four or at least three races in the second half of the season to catch Pelot unless he just has a, a major trip up. And I think the driver that can string those races together is Newgarden. Well, you shared your questions with me, so I will just move us to the last question because that's the answer there that you had. Predict a champion if it's not Pelot. And my answer was Newgarden. I think he is most likely to go on a run. And yeah. as even though Marcus, and I just told you, I'm not surprised that he's up there in the mix, uh, I think it's going to take a run to overtake Pelot. And, you know, I would be more likely to say, even if Pelot doesn't win, Erickson might still stay in second just because he's going to be consistently in the top five, maybe one, one more race. But, and Newgarden is one of those where I get what you're saying, the driver to watch, because he might win three more. And he also might have three where he finishes 18th or worse. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily through his fault. Just he seems to get a lot of bad luck that might keep him from the championship. And this will be the year when he could stomach that. Last year, I think, was very difficult winning what? Five races and not winning the Indy 500 again. And even though, you know, you want to say there's no pressure, there's pressure. When you're a Team Penske driver, when you're an American driver in IndyCar, you're always asked. If you're successful, have you won the Indy 500? It's what you ask yourself, and that has to weigh on you, and now it doesn't anymore. So I'm not saying that he's going to relax, because this guy is a fierce competitor. Um, but he's going to be able to stomach it a little bit better this year if something outside of his control keeps him from the title. Well, I think you say relax. There's two ways to look at it. He's going to continue to be aggressive. He's That's what you mean by not relaxing. But I do and think frustrated the, when it doesn't go well, but exactly. probably not for as long as spell. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll he'll relax in terms of just his his acceptance with, you know, how great this career has been. He'll feel better about that. And uh, yeah, I still want to win races, but uh, he won't he won't linger as long in in his uh, dark spell as he sometimes does. Or we've known him to be here in recent years. Yep. Last question you had was uh, most anticipated race in the second half of the season. Can I have two? Yeah, I'm going to say it's the I. I think it's the Iowa doubleheader. I think that's it was really entertaining last year. I think it will be again this year. 
I, I agree. And I, and I know they're, they're doing really well on tickets. Um, as was said out loud in a, in a group meeting today, not many years when Ed Sheeran will come to the state of Iowa. And, uh, so they've really pushed that in, in Iowa. And I think you're going to see a big crowd and the racing. I would tell anybody, if you're going to go see a race, you want to make the effort. Iowa is a place to do it. It's, it's, you are extremely close to the action. You mm-hmm. can see all the action and the action that you're presented with is compelling. It's a great place to watch a race. Des Moines is a neat town too. And yeah. it's a young person's town and an older person's town for the rest of us as well. But there, there's plenty to do in the evenings and and feel like it, it's, it's not the middle of nowhere. You know, you can stay a little bit closer to the track, which is great if you can find somewhere 20 minutes or so. Um, but what, 45 minute drive or something like that, no more than lots that. of good options and lots of good restaurants and bars and other things to do in, uh, inside Des Moines. So, okay, there's our list. We'll get into what we missed and look ahead coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5, the fan. Hi, this is Reince VK and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment. What have we missed? Oh, I started to talk about James Hinchcliffe at Watkins Glen last weekend. He had a lot of fun. He drove in the uh, Mazda MX-5 Cup races, which is sort of like uh, a go-kart race with drafting or Talladega or Daytona with restrictor plates. So I think he finished sixth in the first race, uh, got banged around early and came from the back to finish 10th in the second race and said he had a lot of fun. That was fun to watch. And those are really entertaining races. This weekend, IndyCar Mid-Ohio, normal schedule. First practice, 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Everything is on Peacock leading up to Sunday's race, also on Peacock and on USA. 1.30 airtime, about 1.53, Kurt says, for... It was either the command or the green flag. Radio has coverage here as well on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Heath Hamilton sent us a note mentioning that uh, quarter midgets will be at IMS this week. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but that may have already started today. But it certainly is going on throughout the week. Uh, And we wish Knox good luck this weekend. Those are always fun events for the Battle of the Brickyard. The NASCAR Youth Series is what it's called now for quarter midgets. Had a few different um, conversations going on with uh, Stephen asking about scanners to rent. Thank you to all those that made recommendations. I will admit I I don't know. Uh, But there's a lot of good stuff, and he was asking about listening to stuff live. And a scanner is the only way to listen to a broadcast live. Every other broadcast, if it's streaming, it is going to have a delay to it. So that's the best way to get that. Steve Straub asked if Palo leaves CGR, which he would be crazy to unless F1 with McLaren is virtually guaranteed. Does Rosenquist go back there? Maybe. I wondered about that last year, a consideration. But but you know what? If they don't want to pay Marcus Erickson, if they want him to bring budget, well, they're going to have to pay Felix Rosenquist because he's not bringing budget. So now maybe his price is less than what Erickson's would be. So I wouldn't rule it out. But I suspect that Felix is going to have other offers on the table. Hey, and and maybe he's going to have the option to take a risk again. If there's a chance Palo is going to Formula One, maybe Felix says, hmm, uh, this might be not be a bad spot to stay with McLaren. Final thing, no good way to bring this up, but just um, awful news. Thoughts with Jimmy Johnson, who you know we all like. 
Uh, he's not going to be racing in that Chicago street race in NASCAR this weekend. Just a tragedy. Don't know a lot of details other than his wife's mother and father and their grandchild found dead today, and they think it's a murder-suicide. So big thoughts and prayers with Jimmy and his family. Bad way to end it. No other way to. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'll see you next Wednesday night, I believe. Wednesday next week at 7 o'clock on Trackside.